going on, everybody? And welcome to the first and foremost podcast with your host, Jimmy Covington. And I am the one and only Quentin Douglas. And we're back at it again with episode 13. Quentin, how you feeling, man? I'm doing pretty good, my guy. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. I cannot complain. I've had a great Sunday. And, you know, been kicking it with the fam, bro. For sure, man. That's all you can ask for. But let Quentin, let's move into our first topic. You know, on went last Wednesday, George Floyd was kid was murdered by the Minneapolis Police Department last Wednesday in cold blood. He had his knee on the back of his neck for approximately eight minutes, and uh, you know the cops were arrested. And, you know, the charges, you know, the, the officer is facing the second degree murder. Quinn, and we, we've all seen riots across the country, you know, across the world. So, Quinn, what are your opinions on the Black Lives Matter movement? Yeah, man. So, of course, this is our first episode we've been able to record since the murdering uh, of George Floyd at the hands of the Minneapolis Police Department. Um Man, uh, really, it's just been a lot of emotions. I'm still kind of dealing with, you know, the situation uh, that occurred and just the chain of, of, you know, occurrences that have happened recently. You know, also the Breonna Taylor murder uh, that occurred, as well as uh, the Ahmaud Aubrey killing that took place uh, a few months ago. Uh, man, you know, all 50 states have engaged in protesting. Uh, you know, there have been looters here and there. Uh, but, man, for me personally, man, you know, I'm just tired, you know. And I think society uh, as a whole in itself, or I can't say as a whole, but, you know, people with the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, they're tired also, man. Uh, this has been going on for 400 plus years now, uh, dating back to the first days of, you know, slavery. Uh, and, you know, just seeing that these police officers, you know, their constant mistreatment of specifically African-Americans. And, you know, a lot of the times it's going unpunished. And I think, you know, it's now reached a point or a boiling point where, you know, we've gone to social media and we're seeing all these social movements now taking place. But I just want to encourage everyone to not get caught up in that, you know, and to, you know, get out and be active, whether it be protests, uh, donating to foundations or signing petitions. Uh, You know, there's multiple ways for your voice to be heard. And, you know, with Drew Brees recent comment, you know, his his tone deaf comment that he made about, you know, players kneeling and disrespecting the flag and, you know, when he hears the national anthem, the first thing he thinks of is, you know, his grand grandfather's fighting in the war f- and protecting the country. But what him and a lot of other white people don't realize, us as black people, that's not what we think of when we see the flag. We think of all the injustices that we face, the segregation, the slavery, the police brutality, the you know, the disparity in the education system uh, between whites and African-Americans. And, you know, you know, with him, we're seeing the Trump effect. You know, he's really given white supremacists, which let's just call it what it is. You know, he's given them the platform to come out and, you know, be openly racist. And until, you know, it reaches legislation in the White House, 
you know, we could just see a never-ending cycle, man. So hopefully with what's going on now, you know, some changes will start taking place, and we'll see a difference. I, like you, uh, have been overcome with emotion over the past week. But I think it's about time. Uh, it's time. The revolution has started, and I'm glad that it's being televised. You know, you hear about, you know, the, the brutality that's going on. It doesn't get reported, and then you see the stuff that's being reported on. You know, we've been suffering injustices at the hands of, you know, white people for the last over 400 years. And, uh, you know, enough is enough. Uh, I'm tired. You're tired. Uh, we're all tired. And, you know, I, I think it's time that we, we put our foot down. You know, and I think with the Black Lives Matter movement, I think it's important for one thing. You know, a lot of us, you know, a lot of people we know, a lot of black people are Christians. And, you know, as a Christian, you know, the Bible teaches you not to judge. And what I want to say is, is that you can't be pro-black and say Black Lives Matter if you don't support, you know, gay black people and transgender black people. They are also a part of people that need to be protected with the Black Lives Matter movement. So that's important to that's important to add because, you know. We know where the Bible stands, uh, you know, in terms of sexuality. But, you know, God so told us it's not our place to judge. You know, we're not the judge and we're not the jury. You know, that's on him. So we still got to show those people love. We still got to support them to the best of our ability. But I also I also want to add that, you know, I'm proud of our generation, how we've st stood out. You know, we've stood up for, you know, our people. I think it's about time. You know, a lot of times people think our generation don't take things seriously. But, uh, you know, we're showing that we are taking it seriously. You know, we're getting out. We're we're signing petitions. We're going out and protesting, man. You know, we voted. You know, well last time. I think that's 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 the big thing. This election, go out and vote, because there's no way this country can survive another year with Donald Trump running it. Uh, he's shown his inept. He's been inept as a leader ever since he stepped foot in office. He's blatantly racist, as we've seen. You know, during the the, the KKK rallies in Charleston, South Carolina, a few years ago, he called those good people. And then he called the riders, he called those thugs. So we, we know what he means by that. There's there's no code on that. We know what he meant. Uh, we know he's racist. I don't know why he's scared to come out and say it. Because, I mean, it's, it's what we all think and it's what we all know. So I think you know, I think it's important that we continue to fight, you know, and don't let it die down. Keep keep the pressure coming. You know, that I believe they thought that it was going to last a week. Now keep it coming because, you know, we're not going to rest until, you know, we get our justice. We don't want to be, we don't want to be happy. We don't want black supremacy. All we want is to be treated equally. That's all we've ever asked for. Just treat me like they treat you. Honestly, and privilege exists, and privilege is going to always exist. We're not asking for privilege. We're just asking to be treated equally and treated fairly. Yeah, man, I 100% agree with you. And I think, you know, to relate it to, you know, our field and what we do, uh, a, lot of, a lot of it has to be attributed to the media. I mean, like we said, it's been, what, 13 days now since the George Floyd murder? Like, the protests and things have been just as strong as the day after it happened. But I guarantee you it hasn't been getting the same media coverage as, you know, when it first started taking place. Because, uh, you know, they have to move on and find different headlines and news stories, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but the portrayal of black people just throughout our history uh, you know, has to be attributed to our unfair portrayal in, in media. You know, we're always portrayed as aggressive. Uh, you know, you have the, the stereotypical welfare queen uh, that gets unfairly put on black women. Uh, you have the criminals, you know, they disproportionately show black people who commit crimes on the news, even though white people commit crimes way more than black people do. 
Uh, and, you know, after that message has been ingrained in people's brains for so long, you know, eventually you can't be surprised that they act the way they do towards us. Uh, and I think that that is an integral place where it has to start. Like a change needs to take place uh, within our media world. Um, you know, even with me and you, I know our, our platform isn't the biggest, of course, but, you know, just using our platform uh, as two African-American men to, you know, uplift other black people within our own communities and, you know, nationally. Um, but, man, you know, ever since Trump's been in office, you know, it went from covert racism to where there's a lot more overt racism now. And like you said, I encourage everybody to get out, register to vote. Uh, because, like I said, the change is going to have to start at the top. Man, I, I want to go back to one of the points you touched on. And, you know, I, I just – I just like, bro, we just want to be treated fairly. That's all we ever wanted, you know. And I think one thing that, you know, it's important to remember, like, we have to we have to uplift our black women, bro, because they're the back back they're the backbone of our community. They're the backbone of our movement. I think a lot of times you don't see you know the outrage until a black man is killed. I think that's that's one thing I've noticed. You know, only recently I've heard you know a lot of outrage in terms of Rihanna Taylor, and I I read that they reopened their case, which is a big deal. But I think you know we want to have the same outrage when black women are killed, the same outrage as we do when black men are killed. I think that's important too. I think so many times, you know, I think our black women have it the worst. You know, they have the disadvantage of being black, and then they also have the disadvantage of being a woman. You know, you know how that goes in society, you know. And the things have improved over the years, but still, though, they don't, they're the most disrespected race of people, black women. And I think we we should be supporting our sisters more, you know, and, and helping them out more. You know, you know, relations, you know, black, black and black relations haven't always been the greatest, you know, and there's been things that's contributed to that. But we want to continue to uplift each other, no matter your, no matter the gender, you know, the, the, the sexuality, you know, male or female, you know, we want to, we need to continue to, to support each other, and I think that's that's important. Yeah, man. Like I said, one hundred percent agree with you, and you know that's where intersectionality comes into play. You know, with our black women, you know, the fact that they have the oppression of being black along with the, you know, disparities of being a woman. Because, you know, even when you think of the women's movement, everything that changed within that front, you know, directly benefited white women. You know, black women still weren't afforded those opportunities and access to those resources um, that white women were afforded, you know, when the women's movement uh, was in its heyday. But, man, like you said, now more than ever, we need to stick together with each other uplift each other and you know empower one another oh yeah and you know now moving on to our next topic you know sports has been ingrained in our culture you know you know in terms of the nba and the nfl you know black players make up a, a large percentage of the players and you know the nba has been one of the leagues that's always been ahead of the social justice front and you got players like lebron james and chris paul and Dwayne wade they routinely you know show up and show out when it comes to those issues. And, you know, I just want to say I appreciate Adam, Adam Silver for, you know, allowing his players to have their voices be heard. And, you know, and with that being said, the NBA did announce their return their return to play plan uh, on Thursday. They voted, and it was voted 29-1. to 1. Quentin, what are your thoughts on the NBA's return plan? 
Yeah, man. So the NBA is officially back. You know, for me personally, that's my number one sports league, my personal favorite. Uh, I do want to say I don't know why the Blazers felt the need to be the one team that kept this vote from being unanimous. Uh, I believe I saw that they wanted it to be like 20 teams or 21 teams as opposed to 22 because uh, they wanted like the bare minimum cutoff to just allow them to get in. Uh, but, you know, other than that, I'm excited, man. Uh, the season's set to start July 31st down at Disney World. Uh, I'm expecting some great things, man. Hopefully, LeBron can bring that chip for the Lakers. Uh, but, you know, I do have my concerns as well. You know, for one, you know, what what does the plan look like if a player or, you know, a coach or executive uh, tests positive for corona? Because, you know, it hasn't completely disappeared yet. Uh, so, you know, what would the NBA do if a player or you have multiple members of a team uh, that do happen to contract the virus uh, while coming in contact with other teams? Uh, and I think something else you have to look at, you know, the injuries and the level of play. You know, by July 31st, the NBA would have been suspended for nearly five months at that point. And, you know, with, you know, going from chilling every day, you know, eating whatever you want, going back to high-level intensity basketball with, you know, some of the greatest athletes on the planet, that definitely has to increase uh, some injury risk. Along with the level of play, you know, things like chemistry, uh, definitely expect a lot of sloppy play, a lot of turnovers. Uh, so that'll be something to keep an eye on as well. Uh, and I think one thing, you know, LeBron's been criticized for, you know, taking off games in the regular season, not taking it as, as seriously as he should. But, you know, he showed this year that he was all in, you know, with Anthony Davis in town. Now, they were the number one team in the West and had claimed home court advantage for the playoffs. Uh, so I think the NBA needs to find a way to reward teams like them, along with, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks, who claimed that home court advantage before the season was suspended, and find some type of way to give them an incentive or some type of advantage to, you know, keep that. And I think my biggest concern, the Game 7 of the NBA Finals is set to end on October 12th. But the NBA is trying to start the next season and have opening night on December 1st. Like, that's not even a full two-month break as opposed to normally game seven, between game seven and start a new season is about 130 days. Like, that definitely has to, you know, bring some attention to the fact that that's going to increase injuries and fatigue early in the season for different players and teams next season. Uh, especially the ones that are taking or participating down in Orlando. Uh, so I think that's definitely something the NBA is going to have to look at as well. When I first heard about the news, of course, I was excited because I'm like, yes, you know, NBA basketball is finally back. But then, I, you know, as I, I dove deeper into the plan, I had a few issues with it. And my biggest issue is the resuming date. I think July 31st is entirely too late. And then, you know, if there is a game seven, it's going to be on October 12th. And, that, you know, obviously that extends into, the, you know, the NFL season and college football season. I don't think the NBA – I don't think it's in the NBA's best interest to be trying to compete with college football 
and the NFL at the same time. You know, it, it'll be a shame if there's a game seven in the NBA Finals and it gets, you know, it has less. The, the ratings are lower than a Monday night football game. I think that'll be, you know, disastrous. And I don't want to see that. So, I, you know, I was thinking the season should have started, you know, the 1st of July, you know, and ended in early September just as the season, just as football season starts. I think that's that would have been more ideal. And my second biggest problem is the start date for the following season, as you mentioned, uh, December 1st. That's, in, that's less than two months. <laughs> and that's entirely right. too early. <laughs> you know, and I think that could – that could prove disastrous in the following year because you know doesn't get those time those guys time to you know recover from a tough playoffs you know and you know the season you know the, from the season of course you know because guys I'm pretty sure would try to stay in shape I don't think a lot of guys I don't think you know the you know the people who really care about the game, I don't feel like they were just sitting there at the house eating potato chips on the couch I think they were actually you know trying to work and so you know I think that'll be this you can see a lot of injuries you know the, the following season and that's something we don't want to see we don't want to see star players go down or any player for that matter you know cuz this guy's livelihood you know and I saw that with the NBA draft will be on October 15th and the draft lottery will be August 25th I think at the very earliest the, the following season should start you know on Christmas I've always been a big proprietor of saying the season should start on Christmas because if, if you think about it, those first two, three weeks of the season, those games are pretty much just for guys getting a win, you know, trying to build a little chemistry. I think with Christmas games, I think that's when the real NBA starts. And I know the NBA talked about, you know, moving the start of the season to, you know, Christmas. That's when the season officially starts. And I think that's something that they should look look into uh, immediately. But I think if they are going to have to start this soon, I don't think they should. They should have to play the full 82. I'm thinking probably like 60, 65 games at max, regular season games, and then going to the playoffs. Because that's a lot of wear and tear on those guys' body, and it's a, it's a very short recovery time. Uh, but one of the things I did like was the amount of teams that they invited. There was no need to invite all 30 teams. That was just going to increase the risk you know, of, of spreading COVID-19 if somebody does have it. And I'm pretty sure some player or some personnel person probably does have it. You know, And it's going to be interesting to see what happens when someone tests positive, as you mentioned earlier. But in the Western Conference, they invited 13 teams, and in the Eastern Conference, they invited nine. And it, and it seems about right. You know, uh, Portland, New Orleans, Sacramento, Phoenix, and San Antonio, they all have a shot uh, at eclipsing Memphis for the eight seed. So that's going to be interesting to see, you know, going down the stretch. And I think the NBA said they're going to play something like eight warm-up games or something like that. So, you know, those games would be extremely crucial in terms of seeding. I think you'll see guys go out there and play extremely hard. And as a fan, that's going to be, you know, exciting to see. Yeah, man. And I think going back to your point about the season overlapping with the NFL, I think that was pretty much unavoidable, to be honest. Because, you know, the biggest thing you want to, you know, be on the lookout for is the health of the players and their well-being. So I think you give them as much time as they need to get back in game shape because, you know, that's not an easy task, you know, and that's a lot of, lot of you know, taxing on your body, uh, you know, playing playoff intensity basketball. So I think on that front, it was pretty much unavoidable. And, I mean, even to start the season on Christmas Day, uh, the NFL is bringing, bringing back games on Christmas Day this season. I think uh I think it's the Saints and Vikings, if I'm not mistaken, that's playing on Christmas Day this year. So I mean, regardless, the NBA is gonna be competing with the NFL now. So like I think like I said, that was pretty much unavoidable. 
Now, it does draw uh, attention to the bigger issue at hand that I've always felt was a problem with the NBA, and that's the fact that they have an 82-game season. I always thought the season should have been shortened. You know, you always uh, have the teams. Like you said, the season doesn't really start till Christmas. Then you have teams that just drag along through February until All-Star break. And then after that, intensity doesn't really kick up again until, like, March, like we were witnessing, uh, and then carries over into the playoffs. Uh, so I think that's something that the uh, NBA is definitely going to have to look at moving forward. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'll be, you know, I'm curious to see how this going to all work out. But, you know, let's move on to our next topic. Uh, and it kind of segues, segues perfectly into, you know, the NFL raised supreme uh, year in and year out. We see the amount of revenue they generate. We see what the rating, ratings say, you know, and there's nothing more exciting than offensive players and quarterbacks and running backs and wide receivers. So with that being said, Quinn, recently the NFL released their, their top QB running back and wide receiver trios. Quinn, what quarterback running back and wide receiver trio reigns supreme in your eyes? Yeah, man, I saw, you know, they ranked Kansas City as number one, but I think that's just all the fanboys that are just obsessed with Patrick Mahomes. Uh, but I think it's easily the trio down in New Orleans of Drew Brees, Alvin Kamara, and Michael Thomas. I mean, one, looking at the running back position, how can you include a rookie running back who hasn't played a down of football in the NFL trio, so that automatically gives Kamara the lead over whoever they want to put there. I mean, Alvin Kamara, Sean, he's an ultimate offensive weapon. Uh, he's a multiple-time pro baller, and he's a do-it-all running back. Uh, then moving on to the receiver position, you have Michael Thomas versus Tyreek Hill. Tyreek, I mean, sorry, Michael Thomas has easily shown that he's a top three receiver in the NFL he could be one or two, depending on what your preference is. Uh, and then you're comparing him to Tyreek Hill, who, don't get me wrong, is a great receiver in his own right. I'll probably put him in my top ten. Uh, but just, you know, Michael Thomas literally just set the record for most receptions by a receiver in NFL history in the season. Uh, Tyreek Hill, he's a burner, and we all know of his speed. But other than that, he doesn't really, you know, affect your defense any other way. You know, they're just kind of out there improvising. Uh, so Michael Thomas, in my opinion, just has more in his tool bag. Uh, and then the quarterback position. Uh, for Kansas City to be number one, you would think Mahomes would just have to be that much better than everyone else, which, in my opinion, he's barely better than Russell Wilson at this point in his career. Uh, and, you know, comparing him for this comparison to Drew Brees, Mahomes' MVP season in 2018, I mean, if you go back and look at it, Mahomes didn't really separate himself in that race until, like, the last three or four games of that season. Drew Brees, in my opinion, was toe-to-toe -to -toe with him, if not marked, like, just barely ahead at one point of Patrick Mahomes that year. And even looking at the numbers – Drew Brees had a higher passer rate in that season, and then he had seven game-winning drives compared to Patrick Mahomes' two that year. Uh, and I think Drew Brees' team might have even had the better win-loss record, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, 
But, you know, just taking all that into account, I think the easiest, you know, the best trio is the New Orleans trio. You know, when I first saw the list and I saw Kansas City at one, you know, at first I didn't have a problem with it. But then as I as I sat down to talk about it, I, I was like, nah, this it's not correct at all. I think it, it has to be New Orleans. Well, Michael Thomas, in terms of being a complete receiver, is much better than Tyreek Hill. Michael Thomas is in that top tier receivers, and I think that top tier includes, you know, him, Julio Jones, and DeAndre Hopkins. And you can rank those guys whatever way you want. It really doesn't matter to me. And I think Tyreek Hill falls in this second tier of receivers, you know, four through ten. I think he'll be towards the end of that, maybe like nine or ten or so. When it comes to running back, you know, you can't compare Alvin Kamara and, and Clyde's head with Hilaire or whoever, whatever running back they tried out there. Uh, Alvin Kamara is a touchdown machine. He's a true dual threat. He's a multiple-time pro bowler. I don't think they have a pro bowler uh, in their backfield, if I'm not mistaken. You know, you come to the quarterback positions. I mean, we both know, you know, Patrick Mahomes is a better quarterback than Drew Brees. You know, the talent, hit, Patrick Mahomes probably had, is, has the most talented arm that the game of football has ever seen and probably might ever see uh, with the way he can throw the football, his, you know, his arm. You know, his arm angles, his arm strength, you know, you know all those things. And, you know, he's he's electric. But Drew Brees has been the model of consistency, uh, you know, for pretty much the last 11 or 12 years. He's routinely put up great numbers. And, you know, that along with the coaching of Sean Payton, his offensive system, the offensive line, and, you know, the weapons that he has, you know, the Saints are routinely in a position to compete for a championship. And I think they can't be ignored. I think the greatness of Pat, Patrick Mahomes doesn't overcome, you know, you know, the the lack of comparison when it comes to, you know, the running back position, the wide receiver position. So, you know, I would have to go with uh, New Orleans as well. Yeah, man. I think you, you won't get any debate, any debate from me on this one. We pretty much agree with each other. So, Man, Quinn, is there anything else you want to add? You know, I mean, pretty much, man. Like I said earlier in the show, uh, I encourage all of our listeners to get out, be active. You know, protest peacefully, uh, sign petitions, donate to these different foundations. Uh, and, you know, just do whatever it takes to make your voice be heard. And don't just let it be a social media post. Uh, and we thank you all for the continued support. Um, and, man, that's pretty much all I got to say. Man, I also want to add that when we say Black Lives Matter, we don't mean only Black Lives Matter. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is, you know, you can't say all lives matters if, you know, if this country isn't has continuously shown that the lives of Black people don't matter. That's all. That's all we're saying when it comes to the Black Lives Matter movement. We just want to be treated equally. We don't want to gain an advantage. We just want to be treated equally. We just want to be treated like human beings with basic human rights. You know, and we've, you know, that's over the last four hundred years. You know, that's consistently. You know, that, that hasn't been the case. You know, people getting killed on the street just because of the color of their skin. You know, you do one wrong thing and, you know, they're ready to shoot you down. They think you're aggressive for no reason when, you know, we're just like you. We're, we're humans, too. You know, when I drive and a, and, a, and a cop passes me, I shouldn't have to I shouldn't have to fear for my life every single time. Even though I'm not doing anything wrong, you know, there's a, I know there's a chance that he could pull me over and he could think I'm aggressive for no reason. He could shoot me and, you know, it's a great chance that justice won't be served. And that's because of the system that we're in. And, you know, people saying there's a problem with the system. There's not a problem with the system. The system wasn't designed for us. That's the problem. You know, I think when, you know, when our founding fathers made, you know, developed this country, they didn't they didn't have this, that, the intention that black people were going to be, 
you know, regular citizens in mind. Think about it. They had slaves. George Washington had slaves. A lot of those, you know, our founding fathers had slaves. So think about that. When, you know, we think about the system. It wasn't designed for us. So what we need to be doing is trying to create a new system that's going to include us. I think that's what we need to be trying to work on. And like I said, I'm glad the revolution is televised and it's about time, you know, and I'm looking forward to the changes that this company, not, excuse me, not company, but I'm looking forward to the changes that this country is, is going to have going forward, you know, over the next few years, you know, and I just want to stress to black people, please get out and vote. Uh, we cannot have this man in office for another four years. I don't think this country can take it. You know, black people just get out and vote, you know, continue to protest, you know, continue to fight for your rights every day. And uh, we just want to thank y'all you know, for tuning in with us, rocking with us every single week. Uh, this is episode 13. And uh, this is Jimmy Covington. I'm Quentin Douglas. And I just want to say, bro, I, I couldn't have worded that any better myself, bro. That was very well said. Uh, thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we want to thank y'all, man. And we out. Thank you for listening.